Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host for the most, uh, Adela Marcy, and today I've got a little bit of stiff competition on who has the better voice. Me or my next guest, uh, Travis Houston, who is a badass motherfucker. I just love this dude. Seriously, just a real cool, cool guy. You know when you just speak to someone, you're like, I can be friends with this guy for a while. This is what this is. Um, Travis, welcome to the show. The insanity shall begin and continue. Uh, you know what? Welcome to Sparta. And I really think we need to let the listeners decide, like, who is the better voice? And so I'm going to talk at a really Ooh. low Ooh. decibel all, all all podcast long. And, we, you know, we're just going to let the uh, we're going to let the fans decide. Oh, that's fine. I'll join you on that low decibel voice. I'll just get my smooth <laughs> voice out today. I love it. Hey, thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Oh man, thanks for taking the time. I know we've had uh, we had a little bit of tech issues getting started, but we're rolling right now. Just a quick shout out before we get begin before we begin. Uh, quick shout out to Brad Costanzo for actually, and Matt and Joe and everyone else basically making this happen because I think it was Joe Fear that basically put us together. But I only would have known about that because of Brad. So kind of a little networking going on there. Also, quick shout out to superfunnel.com, which is your website, right? That is correct, yes. Sweet. I was going to say, I think I just fucked up the entire like domain, even though it's like right in front of me, but superfunnel.com. Go check it correct. out. And uh, you also have your podcast on there as well, which is amazing. And um, that being said, let's get right to it. So my question to start with, of all random things, is how the hell did you get your voice this smooth? I mean, it's really annoying. I'm not, I'm not even going to, like, at this point, I'm just like, how is this voice so smooth? Do you want the, the real story or do you want me to just lie to you for like two minutes? You can go with either, but I don't think you'd lie to me. Just you know. <laughs> I would never lie to you. Honestly, I screwed it up really hard. I actually hired a friend of mine. And you know what it's like when you've got a friend and you're not paying them, uh, but yeah. they're an expert at what they do, but they're kind of like, you know, they don't really love doing things for free, obviously. And I hired a friend to just kind of not hired. I asked a friend to help me get my podcast set up because he's got a great podcast set up. And he gave me all of his gear and everything and showed me what to do. And I said, I tried to set it all up and it sounded terrible. And I tried this for weeks and, and was going off for I was so frustrated so I decided that you know okay you cannot do this on your own so I went on Craigslist and I put out an ad I said I'm paying top dollar I'm paying $50 an hour for an audio engineer to come to my house and show me how to set everything up and so this guy I mean when you think about an audio engineer showing up at your house it was this guy. I mean, he had the black, like tattered boots. They're like the really cool boots, super cool boots. Uh -huh. You know, the, the torn up jeans. He was wearing all of his shirts. He told me he gets by going to audio conferences and networking with the vendors. So he, only, only T-shirts he has are like really cool audio brands. And so he's wearing one of those and it's cool. And he's got the long hair and he's got the good voice and he shows up and he looks at all my gear and he says, this is crap. And so he basically tells me to send it back to Amazon, orders me much simpler. Like the setup I have now is so simple. And he said, this is what's going to make your voice sound good. And then he went in and he did this thing where he created a rack for me, an audio rack. So it automatically equalizes my voice every time I get on and sounds, you know, hopefully radio quality. Okay, first of all, my question is, what microphone did he get you to use? And secondly, how the hell do you set up a rack? That sounds amazing. 
Yeah, so he, uh, in Adobe Audition, which he's an expert at, he went in and he made a, a rack, which is, uh, I'm looking at it right now, adaptive noise reduction, multi-band compressor, parametric equalizer, and he EQ'd it for my lame voice. Because I have, normally my voice is shrill and terrible and it hurts your ears, but when he comes in and sets up a rack for me with parametric equalization, I mean, things sound good. So honestly, I did what I always tell my clients to do, which is hire someone smarter than you to take you to where you want to go. And I literally followed my own advice and hired a really quality audio engineer to literally come to my house and walk me through the ropes. And he had to come back two, three, four times. So let's say I'm all in $250 to have a hassle-free like radio quality sound. And second question, uh, he said, dude, the best mic is the Shure SM58. Okay, yeah. Basically sat here flipping you off, by the way. So I'm like, I wish I had that guy over here. <laughs> so amazing. Shoop, 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 shoop. <laughs> well, he does, he, does, he does Zoom consultations. So how about, just because, you know, love me some Steven, what do you say I just give you his name for show notes and he does Zoom consults? Sweet. That would be awesome. Uh, that would be pretty- done. For anyone that wants to get a podcast set up, you want to have your voice EQ'd the right way, man, this is your guy. Awesome. That is so cool. All right. So jumping into the business side of things, because I'm always curious about this kind of thing. How did you actually go from what what the the consulting business, which we shall not try and spell out on the show because it's a half hour explanation bit in its own right to superfunnel.com? Like what was the what was the jump then? How like, yeah, how what was the jump? Ah, oh, there's just two sides to the business. I guess it's really simple. One is we have an agency side and everyone says agency, but we have a very small agency where we work with, you know, one to four brands a year going deep with them on implementation. So that's strategy, implementation, optimization, and then knowledge transfer. We actually train their team. So I guess one of our biggest clients we have right now is a half a billion dollar supplement company, a really big one, like a legitimate one where they only sell supplements to doctors. Uh, and that's one of the like high-end clients that we do implementation for. So that's the agency side. And I don't take very many of those on because it's time intensive. Uh, then the other part of the business is Superfunnel. And Superfunnel is where I coach and consult people who are you know, practitioners, health practitioners. Uh, they might be consultants. Uh, they might be small business owners. But they've had like some sort of success. But the most important thing is they, they're actually – an expert at what they do. They can cause change. They can bring about transformation, uh, but they're just not great at marketing. And those are the people that I help coach and consult on a monthly basis. And that's what happens over at Superfunnel. Totally different from the agency over at Launcher. That's pretty awesome. So you actually do have a, um, if I remember correctly, you have, an assist, you have a system on Superfunnel. Call it, basically, your podcast is called Make Marketing Awesome. And that's an acronym, right? So if I'm not mistaken, it's attract, welcome, engage, sort, offer, maximize, and evaluate. Now, Correct. Where... And those are the stages of a funnel. I love that. I'm also sl- I, I can see why you and I are going to become very good friends, just simply because my my Facebook handle is Adol the Awesome. So I'm like, <laughs> this mofo's yes. trying to go after my A. It's just not going right. So my curiosity here is like, what is the out all from the A to E? What have you found is the most, not just effective, but the place that people seem to falter at the most? Because you can be an uh, expert. You might. One. It's just one. Ooh. I got to tell you, there's one. 
one. There's one thing that I, I'd say is the secret sauce, and I have no problem telling you, like zero problem telling you. But, you know, there's the funnel side and then the conversion side and all the other things you can do with setting pixels and retargeting and all the cool stuff you can do out there. But there's if you do this one thing, all the other stuff becomes so much easier. Uh, quick, quick, quick note. What's the rule for swearing on the podcast? I don't swear often, but occasionally for effect, you know, I, I want to throw one in. Motherfucker, you can say whatever the hell you want. This show is 100% off limits. Uh, well, not off limits, 100% on limits on swearing. You're actually encouraged to, so feel free to for dramatic effect if you need to. I, I just wasn't sure if one of your sponsors was Disney, and I didn't want to fuck that up for you. Eh, fuck them. Even if it was, if they didn't like me, they could just go fuck off. I'm going to keep saying the word fuck as much as I can and will. Ha ha. I love it. All right. So there's one thing. I'm going to tell you the one thing. And we call it foundational marketing. And quite honestly, it's fundamentals. It is the free throw of marketing. And most people are looking for the slam dunk, the sky hook, or something fancier, right? Don't you find that people are always like looking for that new that new hack, that new twist, that new thing. This is not that. This is the oldest possible thing you could think of, yet it's the absolute period most effective. You ready? Go for it. All right. We call it foundational marketing, and what we do is when we're first going to work with the client, the very first thing, and this is mandatory, we wouldn't work with someone where we did not do this, uh, is I want a list of 40 people, 40 people who you have done business with. And I like the metric of a, you know, a, a recency is the best one. So the people that have worked with you most recently, then there's the ones around monetary value, which are the ones that have made you the most money over the lifetime of your business. And then there's also frequency, which is, are the ones, what are the customers that have bought most frequently? So I want a mix of, let's say out of 40 clients that you've worked with, I want some ones that are very recent. I want one, I want the ones that have made you 80% of your revenue. And I want the ones who buy frequently. And I want to get those people on a phone call. And so really, you don't even need to use a bribe. We just need to send an email out to those people saying, hey, we have an outside third-party company uh, that's doing some analysis on our ability to serve you well and what, you would, what, you know, what you'd like to tell them about our company. Uh, so would you mind getting on a, a 45 to 50-minute phone call with this company? And we always get yeses, always, always yeses. And then what you do is you could just ask them a few questions, but we have 23 questions that we take them through. And it, I'm not going to go through all the questions, but what it really begins with is making it about them, especially in the beginning, to warm them up, open them up, ask them questions that really help them feel heard. And the biggest word that you can use in all of this, like the one main theme that you want to do when you get on these calls, is it's not about you, it's about them. And the main thing is empathy. Like, how can you trade seats with them for a minute? How can you come from their angle, their perspective, really listen from a super empathetic point of view? And then you're going to ask a few questions. One of the questions you're going to want to ask is, hey, why did you buy from us? Uh, when was the last time you got on a call with someone that you've worked with and asked them that question, Adele? When was the last time you said, hey, why did you buy from me? Is that something you do consistently? Or is it something you're going to do after you get off the call with me and actually put it into practice? Actually, it's a bit of both. 
I think the last time I asked someone why they actually hired me was eight months ago. And I think I need to get back into the practice of doing that. It, it, this is that again, I'm just talking free throws and basketball here. It's the practice it's the fundamental stuff. Literally every client you ever work with, you must ask them that question of why did you buy from us? And I wouldn't ask it early on in the conversation. I would get them warmed up and talking about themselves and the experience that they've had and the issues that they've had and what they liked and what they didn't like and who else they're following and what else they've implemented and what they've tried and how did that work out? And, and then empathy, oh, that must have been very frustrating or, oh, I'm so proud of you for what you've done or, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really impressed with the level that you're taking this and just really listen. I mean, listen twice as much as you talk and then go into the things that are going to really help your business grow, which is understanding why did they buy from you or asking them, hey, how do you feel about the work that we've done for your company? It is going to give you all the copy. If you're a copywriter or if you're writing any kind of copy for Facebook ads or if you're writing any kind of copy for emails or landing pages or split tests or your conversion optimizing something, understanding why your customers buy from you is imperative. And then understanding you know, how they feel about the work that you've done for them. And this comes from relationships that you have that went really well and especially the bad ones. Yeah. And then continuing it with things like, hey, what are you happiest about? You know, like if we could go back and do this all over again before you hired us, what would you do different? And you're just going to get into asking really good open ended questions and then taking, I mean, voracious notes on it. And then what we do as kind of a, a final piece, and I'm just going briefly over a, a pretty intense process that we have, is yes. you want to start color coding things. And you color code it from the perspective of heaven or hell, pain or gain. And you're looking for all of the pains that are in there. And then you think to yourself, how can I create pain relievers for any of the pains these people have? And I want to use the pains in my copy. And then the pain relievers are the solutions that come along with what I do. And then when they talk about what are the gains that they got, what are the gains that they got from your product? And then you want to continue being gain creators for them. And it provides so much insight. The final thing that we do with this is once you go through having 40 of these conversations, let's say you just do half 20. If you just do half of it and do 20 of these conversations, I guarantee you will start to see patterns. Patterns of what people say. Patterns of what worked and what didn't. Patterns of how you can improve your current offering, how you can improve your copy, how you can improve your landing pages. And then we take it a step further, embarrassingly further, and we create real avatar and empathy maps based upon the four personality styles from Myers-Briggs. Uh, is the majority of your market competitives? Uh, are they spontaneous types? Are they more methodical or are they humanistic? And we create maps around each of those first, the four personality styles and the languaging that each of them use. Because, you know, about 20% of them are going to be uh, your humanistic, about another 40% of those are going to be like uh, the methodicals. So the humanistics and the methodicals generally make up the biggest percentage of buyers. And then the smaller ones are like competitives and the spontaneous. Now, you want to really like figure out what those languaging patterns are. And if you can start to really use those 
phrases that they say over and over again in your copy, on your Facebook posts, in your YouTube videos, when you're writing articles, you will literally create sympathetic resonance with your market. And sympathetic resonance is that, you know, when you hit, like if you're in a room with two pianos and they're on either side of the room and you hit the C key on one piano and then 50 feet across the other side of the room, the C string on the piano starts vibrating on the other piano across the room. It's sympathetic resonance. And the way you create resonance with your market is you have the ability to have more empathy with them and you outcare all your competition and you understand the language and phraseology and the pains that they're experiencing and can repeat it back to them more elegantly than they can express it themselves. Which is always the good thing that you want to have. I think Jesse Elder said this years ago, which was, um, and it's always stuck with me. It's the, um, if you can explain someone's problem to them better than they can actually explain it to themselves, then they'll give you money to solve it as long as you can solve it. Yes, that's called influence. Anytime that you can repeat back to somebody something that they're experiencing in a way that they haven't been able to say it themselves and it makes it feel clear, you have influence over that person and then that can create trust and rapport. And as long as you can deliver on it, then absolutely yes. Can we also just throw in a shout for Jesse? I love Jesse Elder. He is just one of the best people on the planet. Same. I agree. I'm still trying to get him on the show, so I'll have to make that happen at some point. Um, but yeah, something that you said that actually really, really, really resonated with me was actually this understanding of the four different um, Myers-Briggs types. And the way that you were actually describing them in my mind, because again, huge nerd, my brain went to, oh, that sounds like two different, uh, what's it called? Superhero camps. It's like, you know, you have the methodic, what was it? The humanists and the, it's not the methodicals. The largest portion of the people just in society are methodicals and humanistics. That's the ones. They actually do sound like two separate teams in like um, a superhero team up movie. It's like, yeah, (laughs) go for a face off. Which ones have you got? So my thing that I've got to ask you, that I want to ask you particularly when it comes down to this is if you're like someone like me, if I'm speaking to one of my clients where I've completely fucked it up, I flubbed it. And, but we've actually ended the relationship on positive terms because you know i have a simple rule if i fuck up i will always return your money like i will do my best to give you your money back because well i like my reputation as being a good guy it may take me a little while but i'll eventually get to it um so my question is if you have a customer that's been they initially bought from you you couldn't deliver you refund them you're on good terms what would be the best way to actually approach that customer or previous customer to actually converse with them to find out why you bought like why they bought from I mean, you. Yeah. First of all, take 100% responsibility. Uh, I think that's the first conversation to have is, of course, take 100% responsibility. Even if it was something on their end, and quite oftentimes it totally can be, but completely own it. Take 100% responsibility and then say, I want to improve what I'm doing for the people in my market. And I, ha- and I believe I have something to learn from our interaction. Would you mind being of help? Of course they're going to want to. It's one of the things that are going to, it's going to be cathartic for them just to be able to vent to you. And it's going to be valuable for you to be able to take that constructive criticism and feedback well with class and then transition, make changes, 
based upon what you hear. And really, it's really listen empathetically and not go into reactive mode. And that's the important thing is to not react, but to really listen, to take responsibility, uh, to have empathy for their position and their feelings, and then make whatever transitions or pivots necessary to not have that fuck up again. Agreed. I think you do need to go through a couple of fuck ups in your life just to get like your bearings correct. I'll explain that because um, for me personally, I've only had, if we discount 2018, I think I've only ever had to refund maybe three clients in my entire 11 year career. Last year was a little bit more because 2018 for some reason was drunk. I, I'm just putting it up as the entire year was just drunk. <laughs> it was like I've I've seen so many people from like 2018. I've had conversations with them, and they're like, "No, dude, like every worst year for sales, worst year for this. I don't know what was going on." It's like 2018 is drunk. We're good with this. Let's let's keep going. 2019 magic on. I think it slept over the hang. It slept off its hangover, and now it's kind of like coming back. Okay. <laughs> it's like oh hello. You, you get it. You get a few. You get a few B twelve shots, and you're back in the game. Yeah, exactly. So if that's the case for getting over hangovers, a bunch of people are going to be ordering B twelve shots right now, being like, "Wait, that's the thing that'll actually help me. I need to stock up." <laughs> it's the it's the secret beforehand, actually. Yeah, before going just, out, just 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 so your your audience knows that's the right thing to do. See, smart. Now you're basically not only you picking up marketing knowledge, you're now understanding how to make better life choices. Enjoy. <laughs> I knew this would be a great show for for many reasons. Um, I love it. Oh, dude. So I got to, uh, first of all, I got to commend you. Uh, first of all, thank you for sharing as openly as you did. And one of the bigger, one of the things that really kind of makes me want to question even further is this idea of 100% responsibility. Because I practice that as much as I can. Sometimes I completely fuck it up and I will put my hands up and say that. Um, main reasons I used to get scared of uh, communicating with someone that I failed because in my mind, I was like, if I speak to them, they're just going to shout at me and I'm not going to like it and all this, that, the other. But I realized when you do step up and speak to someone, 95% of the time, they're really nice to you. 5% of the time, they want to yell at you and then be like, it's okay, I get it, let's talk. And you have a great conversation afterwards. So my question is for those people that really don't have, they basically chicken out. They're scared of actually reaching out to someone that they failed or they're scared about reaching out to a certain client that was mean to them. What advice would you say? Because I know you've already mentioned it as in like, we're looking to improve and so on, but I meant just in general getting out to them because I, I can imagine you'd be, and again, this isn't meant in a, in a wit. Uh, this wouldn't be insulting, but someone might take it insulting. I don't think you will. How do you become so smooth with the tongue in terms of the words that you use in order to open the, those doors back up again. I feel like you just tee me up for really good stories. And I've thought about this a lot. So I, I actually have a good story. Uh, and I promise I will wrap it all up in a nice little tight bow and it will be completely clear. Okay, but before, so, we, before we walk down that path, I think I might have a new idea for a show just called Storytime with Travis. That would just be done. a great, it's, it's, be a great it's, show. It's on. Like, I, I just got the domain. Perfect. Sold. <laughs> just on his phone right now. It's like, got it. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, get on that. Okay. So when I, 
I was a late bloomer in life. I mean, late bloomer, totally. I was the kid who went to computer camps in third grade instead of baseball camps like the other kids. So I was the, the nerdy, kind of like awkward one. Uh, it took a long time for me to bloom. When I bloomed in my mid-20s, I really bloomed. And from like, you know, 22 to 32, let's call it, let's call it 20. So let's be real honest here. From 26 to about 32, I was on my game. Dating lots of girls, having a great time. Life was amazing. And then I was at a nightclub, a big concert with a band called Fisher Spooner. And I saw the most incredible creature I'd ever seen in my entire life. Like she just stepped off a Barcelona fashion magazine. I was completely captivated. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to talk to this girl? And my friend looks at me and says, bro, I designed her website. And so of course, high-fiving. I mean, yes, I have an, I have an in. Turns out, we had quite the history together. I used to run uh, a nightclub in town, and she ran the biggest DJ agency in town. And I'd written a lot of contracts with her over the years. She had a reputation of being kind of a hard ass, and I'd never met her before. And so, of course, fell instantly in love. Uh, but had the issue of I was dating a lot of other girls, but now I'd found the one. So here's how this all comes together. I dropped everything thing, meaning everyone else, everyone I was seeing, any other possibilities, I put blinders on and went with laser focus after the one. And what would happen is her name's, her name's Joy. We've been married 14 years and she's the absolute love of my life. When we were first dating, we would be out and let's say we went out, had some few cocktails, uh, had to stop by like a, a grocery store or something on the way home to get something to make breakfast in the morning, whatever, whatever. And we would run in to one of my exes and the girl would come up to me and she'd be like, Travis, what the fuck? You haven't called me. I haven't seen you. You ghosted me. What the hell? And it's where I learned this phrase that I want to teach to you right now. And it's the concept of it's better to be respected than be liked. So the concept was this. I would take the girl. I would say, Joy, I'm so sorry. I, I need just like 30 seconds here. I would look at the girl and I would be like, hey, look, I found the one. I'm not seeing anyone else. I am totally committed to like trying to find a way to make it work with this woman who's like absolutely perfect for me. So I'm sorry, uh, but I'm, I'm totally focused right now on this girl. And she would be like, well, fuck you, but I get it and walk off. And in that moment, she didn't have to like me and I wasn't looking for her to like me, but I wanted her to respect me. Because if I ran into her years later, she could always respect that moment. Kind of like if you're working with a client and they, you fuck things up, like you are the one that hosed it. Well, when you go back to them with integrity, uh, with strength, and you say, hey look, 100% responsibility, I screwed this up and uh, I would like to fix it moving forward so it doesn't happen again. Would you mind spending 20 minutes with me on the phone or whatever it happens to be? Uh, take you out to coffee. R really get in your head and have some empathy for how this happened and how, how, how I can change it and make it right. With that client, you now have the ability to be respected. Not liked but respected. And I would much rather be respected by someone than liked by them. Now ideally you want both. But if you only get one, I would rather be respected than be liked in the eyes of a complete failure that I was responsible for. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. In fact, that's actually one of the smartest ways I've actually seen it and heard it being put because 
not a lot of people are willing to think about it that way. Like the whole idea of, oh, okay, cool. So can I be what? Because a lot of people want to just be liked. And, you know, I was one of them. Um, but it's a great way of actually reframing that to kind of go, no, it's, you, either, you can either be liked or respected. Ideally both, but if I'm having one, I want to be respected because respect lasts a lot longer than being liked. Yes, and when you're disliked and not respected, uh, that's not the quadrant you want to be in. Yeah. There's always four quadrants. But this one, like, always it, four quadrants. Always four. So, I gotta ask, who's your favorite copywriter? Like, oh, my wife. My wife, period, hands down. My wife. Like that, that. Now, if you want to say who's a copywriter that everyone knows, who does everybody love, uh, that's a different story. But quite honestly, I mean, what my wife does with copy is nothing short of brilliant. And it's because of these client interviews. Um, she will go up against some of the biggest copywriters out there. And the fact that these copywriters aren't doing 40 client interviews and going through two weeks of like really intense conversations with their customers and then creating avatar and empathy maps that really show what those customers believe, desire, where their pains are. She can write copy in a way that most other people dream of because she gets that so well. I think a lot of copywriters rely on their instinct or skill or what they've learned from their mentor, but don't really dig into the minds of their prospect. I mean, do research with a you haul in terms of understanding the market and so because of that i see her out poll pretty much everyone she's ever gone against in terms of like a job uh, or re-optimizing someone's nurture funnel or long-term nurture or drive to attend the sequence for a webinar because she understands the market so well and that's kind of the biggest key that if well one of the biggest keys that you guys anyone listening can take away from this it's figuring out how to do the whole empathic thing because a lot of people don't have that ability to kind of just go with it. And something you just mentioned right now, I rely almost, well, I used to rely almost exclusively on my skill and on my uh, my gut feeling more than anything. I just went 100% on intuition. How do I feel? I'm going to write about this and go from there. But what I found is the moment I used to take that and then sit down and do the research, and look at what was there, like speak to the product owner, speak to the people that bought before, speak to the customers, speak to the salespeople, speak to everyone. I found sometimes, like most of the time, I'm kind of lucky for this, that I'd find what I already thought was true, but I'd get like a little bit more of an understanding of what to say, like what words specifically spark their interest. Um, with one of my clients, it was literally uh, a case of what 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 made you buy from my client though their response was she made me feel as if i mattered that was all it was yes. within 40 I love that. within four within uh 40 days of creating this because i did write it over 40 days when i got this i spoke to a few other people um i think i only spoke to like five people in total nearly every person said the reason i work with my client the reason that i bought from them the reason i you know paid them tens of thousands of dollars to do this is because they made me feel like i mattered and the moment i felt like i mattered i was able to transcend what i believed i was able to do and go up a level i was i was able to up level my capability to a point 
where I could not so much just feel that I was invincible, but I was being invincible. I was make so all these things. And you have so eloquently put into words what I've not been able to for a long time, which is if you figure out the empathy, you can figure out exactly what to speak to or what to say and what to speak about to someone in order to actually show them what you do in a manner that makes sense to them. You're basically and essentially speaking their language. And very few people It's an do unfair that. advantage. It's literally an unfair advantage. And it's an ethical advantage because you're spending time in empathy. And it's beautiful. I think it's an it's an absolutely amazing way of approaching it. And it's so simple. And you so rarely hear people in our, you know, digital or online marketing space, I mean, really emphasizing picking up the phone, picking up the phone, picking up the phone and talking to your customers. That's it. Yep. Yeah, it's scary what we've left behind once we went digital, like the amount of things that we left behind the quote unquote old way of doing things that still work. No one's going to like it. It's the old thing where it's like a um, 1997 or 1998. Oh, so much mail. I've got an email. I'm so excited today. It's like I have a I have a I have a letter in the mail. Yay. It just feels which is why I think we're making a big move back towards, you know, away from I'm not going to say away from anything because everything just changes so much. But I do feel there is a, a need for warmer closer interactions between people. And it's why I like these smaller engaged events where people get together, not necessarily like the mega conferences, although those are good too, because it's FaceTime, but more of like the, you know, 12 to 30 person small group events where you really do get a sense of the humanity of the people that are in the room and you can create mm -hmm. real beautiful connections. Agreed. It, there's, there's something to be said about going to a 6,000 person event and meeting 150 people and maybe doing business with one of them versus going to the same 6,000 person event, recruiting 10 to 30 people that you know that you want to spend your time with, cultivate those relationships. And even if you walk out with three amazing sweetheart deals that you can work together with, you now have the remainder, remainder of people, seven, 10, up to 27 people there that now know you a lot better and you know them a lot better and you can figure out how you guys can help each other and grow and just be there for each other. And that Yes, and I, I totally consider that how do you become the voice of choice for the people who you can matter to, for the people that you can transform and change. And to be that voice of choice, it takes curation and time. And to me, it's those more intimate, small group, live interactions that really solidify relationships. And that to me is if you're going to be focusing on something for 2019, 2020, moving towards that, it's become a voice of choice in your market and do that through intimate, you know, small group environments. And I am totally going to go ahead and use that as one of the taglines from this show is how to become the voice of choice. Cause that is so cool. I've not heard anyone else say that before. Right. There's like there's trusted authority and there's all of these words out there. But quite honestly, uh, who cares about being a trusted authority or the biggest influencer? It's all bullshit. What's really impactful and what really matters is when the person who you want to influence is thinking about you when nothing else is going on, when they're not watching TV, when they're out at the park with their family and they all of a sudden remember something that they heard the voice of choice say in their head. And they're like, you know what? 
I got to go back. I got to go back to that website and check that out because that person really connected. It really resonated. That resonated with me. And once you do that with someone, once you resonate with somebody and you've influenced them in a way that's impactful for their life, for how they want to change or grow, then you are that voice. And if you've got something that can transform them from where they are to where they want to be, now you're the choice. And so the whole goal really is to be that voice of choice for the people who you can have an impact with and on. Excellent. That's so true. It's, it's a very powerful lesson to be, to be understood. I wouldn't say even learned because I think learning just kind of goes like to the brain level and stays there. But my actual ideal would be like much deeper. It's like, no, no, no. Once you take it into the heart and you understand it, it's far more powerful. Absolutely. I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. You just, again, it all goes back to being uh, empathetic to your, to those around you and understanding how you can serve. Now, if you might be on this. Honestly, I I have not been, I'm just going to admit it right now because it's, I'm using the word empathy and talking like this a lot. This is not an easy skill for me. Uh, Empathy has to be a spiritual practice for me and spiritual practices aren't always really easy things. So for me to consider empathy, I have to, I have to, some people are just naturally an empath. I am not. I have to work at having empathy. Yeah, I can, I I would not have said that about you. Like, at all. Yeah, it's it's one of those things I've literally had to work on. I've had fights with my wife about this uh, for for not being as empathetic as as even I would like to be or she would like me to be. It's one of those things that what you just said, I have learned a lot about empathy. But that doesn't mean that I practice it on a consistent basis like I would like to. So for me, I consider it a spiritual practice in terms of I am working on it. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing, is if you're working on it and you're constantly working on it, guess what? You're going to get better than the person just sits there on the, you know, with their hands underneath their ass and just being like, I'm going to think about this. No, go do some work about it. It'll make your life a lot <laughs> exactly. easier. Like, empathy comes easy to me. It does, but it's, I don't, I don't put it together the same way you do. And that's kind of the takeaway for me on this, is basically understanding how, I can use what I already do in a way that helps more people and understands and helps me understand better and who I'm serving. Because once I know who I'm serving better, well, guess what? I can ramp up my messaging for those people. Which is why it makes you a good copywriter, right? Good copywriters generally are very empathetic, which is probably why I'm not a great copywriter, but my wife is because she is naturally and very empathetic. She's an empathist. I mean, she is very empathetic. And I'm guessing that's what makes you great at copy. For me, I'm into systems. I'm into like, how do I grow based upon repeatable systems? And so when I can see empathy as something that can help me grow and expand repeatable system, I'm more interested in it. Exactly. And this is kind of why you and your wife are so perfectly matched together because she balances you out and you balance her out. Right. And something I do want to commend you for, and so few people do this, whenever I've asked the question, who's your favorite copywriter? Who would you consider as a great copywriter? You get the same list, almost always. You know, I'm always looking for someone that isn't on everyone else's list. And you've given me that with like joy that. because yeah. like that, that was an honest answer. That was a straight from the heart answer. That was a, I can give the names of other people. Like, I mean, you have you're in a mastermind with Bob Selling, who's considered by many, including me, as one of the best copywriters ever. 
But at the same time, you're like, no, I've seen what my wife does and what she does is amazing when she's given the, when she go, when we have the system that we have in place, of course, she's going to be everyone because she's done this. And that right there, I've got to commend you on that because so few people even do that. They, they want to give the answers that everyone else wants to hear. I, I, I appreciate that. And since we're just, you know, there right now, why not just, you know, screw this whole thing up and say Perry Marshall is certainly one of my favorite copywriters because of how he uses story uh-huh. in what he teaches and the fact that he's fucking brilliant. Oh, the guy's a genius, though. I cannot watch anything that Perry does. No, no, I'm. I just say. I'm just saying the copy, like copy. Oh, like, no, no, his, his copy. Copy is genius. Oh, I agree. The only again, like I'm saying, I can't watch anything that he does. Like I can't watch any of his videos. Main, and no. it's not not. It's not because I don't like him. I love Perry Marshall. The only reason is because years and years and years ago, like I was when I was 21. It's about eight years ago. Uh, I managed to watch his autoresponder boot camp that one of my one of my employees at the time when I was apprenticing, he made me watch it. He goes, you know, you need to understand how to write story. Perry's graded it. Go watch this. Unfortunately, I had been watching uh, old reruns of Top Cat from back in the 60s. Huh. And uh, Perry's voice reminded me of one of the characters. And it it's never it's never shaken. It's like he sounds like that character in my voice, like that. His voice sounds like that character all the time. And I can't take him seriously. Oh, that's too funny. So, well, I got to turn this question back around to you. Who's a copywriter that you would love to be mentored by today? If you could get mentored week over week by one person alive writing copy today, wait. who would it be? Ooh, wait, do they have to be alive today? Or is yes. That, oh, that's a hard one. Okay. Alive today. Who would of I course want? it is. I'm going to give you someone that's dead. And I'm, while I'm thinking about, while I'm saying this, I know who I want, who eventually I know who it is if they're alive. And it's actually not Gary Halbert. A lot of people think it's Gary because Gary's amazing. It's actually David Ogilvy. And there yeah, is, a, re- and there is a very specific totally. reason for that. Um, David used to work with Drayton Bird, who is a very good friend of mine. And Drayton let me in on a secret. I'm going to let you guys on the secret as well. Um, I get nervous whenever I hand anything into my client. Like genuinely, I have like full on panic attacks. Um, even if I know it's going to do well, I, I get really nervous. I feel like I'm doubting myself the whole thing. What I found out from Drayton was David was the exact same as me. He, he was nervous always. Like he wanted to spend another two weeks on the ad just to make sure that it was perfect, even though it was perfect to begin with. When is art finished? Never. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those things. You are an artist. It's the conundrum of an artist, what you're describing. And so it's the, it's the question of when is art done? Yep. And it's funny that you say yeah. that because it's only been since January that I've actually fully identified as an artist. Because prior to that, I was like, I'm a writer, I'm a this. I'm like... No, you're an artist. Everything you do is a form of art. Podcasting is a form of art. Voiceover acting is a form of art. Martial arts, there's art in that. Writing copy, writing books. Everything is an art form. To answer your question, though, who today I'd love to be mentored by, that's alive week after week after week after week. And that you could hire legitimately, that you could have as an actual mentor. I'm so curious. 
Ooh, okay, you are adding parameters here that are making this even more interesting for me. Okay, so the person that I'd want to, like, could actually hire John Carlton. John Carlton. Ah, and the reason being, it. John was my first unofficial official mentor. When I was 18, 19 years old, figuring out this copywriting thing, I followed John's career. I actually read his blog daily uh for about two years while writing copy and i picked up so much stuff and then i basically bought one of his courses and just a great guy he's he's awesome i've thankfully had uh i've had two chances to interview him over my time never for this show though i do want to interview him for this show uh john is hands down probably my favorite person as far as it goes as a mentor because he'd be at this age as well where he's at right now i believe he's still brash enough to tell you what to do but he's still he's empathic enough to actually not beat you up when you don't need to be beat up like he'll know when to push you and when to let you rest that's why yeah and what well seasoned and i would say a very good choice agreed so what what about you who would you pick if actually no let's not go copywriters who would you pick for systems that you would love to sit down with and understand their systems I, I'd probably again say Perry uh, Marshall. Uh, not that I've ever worked with him, uh, but one of my actually a common friend of ours, Brad, uh, just recently went to one of Perry's events and he showed me some of the stuff that Perry was working on. And actually, I think it was a a framework Jack Bourne came up with, yet Perry presented. Uh, and both of those guys are are just genius. Jesus. Jack, of course, uh, yeah. the the maker of Deadline Funnel, but he's worked for Perry for many many years. Uh, but how he how Perry presented this thing called a tactical triangle is very worth looking into. And the levels that he thinks about fractals and nature and how all of these things come together and what Jack and Perry created in this tactical triangle. Uh, is one of the best frameworks I've ever seen. And then I'm going to put one more shout out that no one's ever heard of this guy. Uh, Dan Martell, this isn't the person who I'm talking about, but Dan Martell recently invited to me one of his dinner parties. And at Dan Martell's dinner party, I sat next to this old dude from Australia. Affable, old, gray-haired guy. And three minutes into our conversation, my mind was blown like my mind has never been blown sitting next to anyone at a dinner party ever. Ooh. This guy's name is Simon Bowen. And no one's heard of him. And okay. he's got this website called Models Method. And he, I, he's not even really put anything out yet. He's just kind of starting a YouTube channel. I mean, he's probably in his you know, mid-60s, and he's just starting a YouTube channel, just starting to get some information out there. But he's been doing this for 30 years, what he calls his models method. And I've never met someone who thinks in useful frameworks like this guy. So if you ever get a chance, anyone out there, to talk to Simon Bowen, oh, man, like, quite honestly – Everyone knows Perry. You can go work with Perry, but I've never met someone like Simon. And this guy literally, but just a few months ago, blew my mind. And so I have just been uh, scratching at the surface to try and find everything I can from him. Oh, wow. See, I've just added him on Facebook right now because, like, damn, if you see that, that's, I'm going to go find him. That's the him. guy. That's the guy. He is literally brilliant, genius level. Oh, I love it when you find people like that. Okay, so one of my favorite questions to ask on the show, which I'm going to ask you right now, 
is would you say you're an average reader? Do you read a lot or? Oh, I'm oh, what's past avid? Voracious. There we go. Yes, I, I consume consistently. Uh, so I'm always, you know, using my extra time, which is, you know, uh, when I'm traveling, when I wake up in the morning and I'm headed to the gym, when I'm working out, when I'm coming back from the gym, when I'm making breakfast and all the other interstitial time, uh, I really like to spend that on learning things that I can also implement. Smart man. I like that. Okay. So I'm going to change the question to this. Usually we give people three, but today we're going to go with 10. So there are rules to this. What are eight nonfiction books that have greatly impacted you that you'd recommend to anyone? And what are two movies that had the same effect that impacted you and everyone should watch? Uh, let's start with movies because I can, you know, I can definitely uh, do the movies one. Um, so first of all, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm -hmm. Hand, hands, hands down. I mean, a, a must-watch movie for your '80s education. Uh, and the whole concept is: uh, how can you open other people up to an experience they're resistant to and have it change their life? And so, what I love about Cameron's relationship to Ferris is: you, as the expert, are Ferris. You are Ferris. And the people who need what you have but are resistant to it are Cameron. And it's your job to go through a customer journey, a buyer's experience, much like when Ferris says, we're taking the Ferrari. And Cameron's like, no, we are not taking my dad's Ferrari into Chicago today. Uh, that's the resistance you're going to get in your life uh, when you're coming up in any kind of a sales conversation, when you're working with someone who needs what you have but don't understand how it's going to benefit them in the way that they really understand it. And so your job is to take people on that magical journey much like ferris did because life moves pretty fast and if you don't stop to look once in a round or while you might miss it Agreed. so that's that's definitely like one of the movies that uh, I, I think about a lot and i and I, I love um i love how that all comes together uh and another movie what's one more movie that had a big impact now you know i'd say pretty and pink did too as you can tell i'm a kid of the 80s uh, so when i was growing up those were impactful for me so pretty and pink was another one and that to me, uh, you know, Ducky uh, and Claire, uh, their relationship I thought was very powerful because what I love about Ducky was he just didn't give up. And to me, if there's one trait to have, it's resilience and tenacity in the face of adversity. And I mean, Ducky just couldn't get anywhere with Claire and he tried and tried and just never gave up uh, and even acting like a complete asshole through, you know, part of the movie and their relationship deteriorated only to come back around and, you know, for him to be persistent. And so for me, uh, you could say it's the exact storyline from some kind of wonderful. And I think maybe even some kind of wonderful had a better ending when it came to that but for me it was about resilience and so i'm going to say that there's something around ducky and claire's relationship that has to do with resilience that to me is a big part of the hero's journey love it and i would agree with you and i'm i'm glad that you're a fan of the 80s because you grew up then i wasn't i was talking about this to a friend of mine i basically just squeaked into the 80s like right at the last quarter i was born so mostly raised by 90s but i love the 80s 
Also, why was John Hughes such a big deal in the 80s? I have no idea how, how he got so many movies made. Like what are you most... talking about? It was, it, was his, it was his understanding of humanity and the human condition, and he could write to that. I mean, John oh, Hughes was, I mean, for, for people that are going, and honestly, it's not for everyone. It's for people that are in transition from, like, you know, puberty to, you know, that teenage, you know, those coming teenage age, years. Yeah. And that's it. Coming of age. John Hughes really understood the human condition when it came to coming of age. And so that's a great copywriter there because he was able to really empathize with what it was like to be in transition agreed and i one movie that i was actually surprised that he did direct or at least was the executive producer of uh and he did write was home alone yeah oh, absolutely not, had no oh, idea yeah, yeah. but then again yeah, I i'm a, I'm a pretty big here. i'm a massive john hughes fan so i don't blame you he's again it's it was his decade and Genuinely agree. He did understand the times. And the empathy that he had was brilliant. So what are the eight books then? I'm curious. Here. Oh, man. Naming, naming these eight books is going to go back. I'm going to say, um, have you ever read How to Think? Really old book, not in print anymore. And it's got four steps to learn. Uh, it's a story, but it's all story-based. I like the story-based books. Like uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. Love that book. Uh, Ishmael love Ishmael. If you haven't read Ishmael, totally worth reading. Or uh, we could just go deep into Paulo Coelho, uh, obviously. Uh, so many books there that I like by Paulo. Um, what else? That were really, oh, you know, Dan Millman. Do you know Dan Millman? Yep. The Way of the Warrior. What was it? Way of the Warrior? Peaceful no. Warrior. Yeah, so, Peaceful so Warrior. Dan, I would say that that was definitely one of the books that had such an impact on me uh, was the Dan Millman book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And so I love books by Dan Millman. Um, who else were really big? I mean, Tom Robbins. Uh, Tom Robbins books were, uh, you know, I loved to read as a kid. Jack Reacher books. I still enjoy reading because they're fast paced and interesting. And I like the, I like short, punchy paragraphs when I'm reading copy. Uh, and those were always interesting for me. But I got to say, um, The Alchemist. One of my favorite and movies. Way of the Peace, and and the, the Alchemist books. and Way of the Peaceful Warrior. If we're just going to like, if I'm going to pick two books that I'm just thinking about right now that had a, like a real a real impact on me. Um, it would be way of the peaceful warrior. It would be the alchemist. And I'm going to say like the richest man in Babylon for how to think, um, financially as well, but told in a really great story. Excellent choices, but you still got a few more. Eight. Wow. Um, so that's three. They've got to be, I, I think four. I've got four in there. Four. Yeah. Me. Ishmael. Where the war oh, was it Peaceful Warrior, Alchemist, and the last one that you just literally mentioned and I'm drawing blank on right now. How am I drawing blank on this? We're just man about well. There we go. <laughs> Let's see. Any other books that like were impactful for me? I mean, there's so many, but uh, you know, the, all the Daniel Steele novels probably just don't like they don't qualify, do they? They can qualify if you want them to. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They totally don't. Although there is some good ones in there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'm kind of drawn on, on, on a blank on some of those. I haven't been. I, honestly, I don't read a lot of nonfiction these days. I used to. Uh, I don't so much anymore. What I am I reading right now? I just. I'm just reading Sapiens, which is really good. Ooh, nice. I'm reading. I'm reading Sapiens, and I'm reading Brainfluence. But I wouldn't call Brainfluence. I'm not sure if either of them qualify as nonfiction. Sapiens is really interesting, though. Love that. That is a good book. I'm actually starting it. Uh, I just finished the one beforehand. 
Oh, I don't know if I read the one before then. Hold on, let me see. Uh, who wrote Sapiens again? I'm just gonna quick. Look, there we go. Yuval Yuval Noah Harari. There you go. Harari, thank you. Cool. Yeah, his name is Yuval Noah Harari. Cool name, by the way. Um, I think the first one I read of his isn't say no, it isn't the one before. And I I read uh, Homo Deus, a brief history of Homo. Oh, I did not read that. Yeah, no, I read that. That was the one I read. But I want to read Sapiens. What about because... what about the Little Prince? There's a yeah, that's one that I, I I've definitely loved reading to my ten year old son recently. I read him the Little Prince, and I I really enjoyed re-reading that. There are a lot of lessons in like kids' books that could definitely help you as an adult. I just read Hugo. I I read a lot of books with my son. Uh, and we just read Hugo Cabret, and that was, God, that was a good book. And then we read, um, uh, what's the one that was Liam Neeson starred in that? It was about the uh, go- the Golden Compass. God, I love those books. Those were great. Ooh, so I've been those. reading a lot of kids' books because I love, oh, they're amazing. I have the Golden Compass, which is called like His Dark Materials Trilogy. Those were great books. Those were like phenomenal books. Excellent. We'll put those on the reading list. Like, you have no, like, I love I love reading so many books, but I do have a recommendation for you that I'll give you after the show. All right. Every, every, everyone here, they already know it's it's the crime novels that I love so. Oh, I crime novels. Good. But they're so well written, I'll explain why afterwards. But yeah, dude, this has been fascinating, just like going on this crazy, amazing journey with you so far. I definitely want to have uh, you back really, on in the future. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I totally want to come back on in the future. Yeah. Um, I'll share with you this crazy idea that I pitched to Matt and Joe, but um, I'll, I'll again, I'll tell you afterwards. I don't want to give anything away to anyone listening right now because I'm kind of like, guys, this is this is kind of top secret shit that you'll enjoy afterwards. But, um, dude, thank you so much for being here, Travis. I really appreciate you just being so open with your answers and just giving so much. Like, I've been taking notes and I'm going to be listening back to this myself simply because I want to go through the... 40 last customers I've worked with and find out exactly why they bought from me and figure out exactly how I can then drive more impactful messaging going forward. That's the gold. That is the, I mean, if there's honestly, if there's just one thing you did from this entire conversation, uh, you will get so much value and make so much more money and write even better copy than you already do with just that thing. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. It would be, and it would help me solve my biggest problem, which is understanding how to write for myself. Right for others, right for myself. Crazy. This is the key. So, um, guys, go check out superfunnel.com. Go listen to Make Marketing Awesome. Uh, it's going to be, it, I'm going to be listening to it myself because I didn't realize that you had a podcast until today. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go subscribe and download a bunch of episodes and listen to them like in my evenings, which is fun, all while I'm working out. So, Travis, oh, I love it. Thank you so much for being here again, my friend. And guys, go listen to his show. Go to his website. Subscribe. Just immerse yourself in Travis Houston and you will be happy because I've only known him. Like, I've only spoken to him for an hour right now and I'm already like, yep, big fanboy over here, right here. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I so appreciate you having me on the show today. Thank you so much, Adele. Oh, you're very welcome. See you guys on next week's episode. Next week's episode. And as always, please review, uh, subscribe, and share the shows that you love. Take care, guys. Bye.